This morning you're going to need your Bible, you're going to need to turn to places in your Bible. And uh, I want to show you some things. Uh, In the art of preaching, let me tell you a little something. In the art of preaching, you spend your first five minutes just setting the scene. And today, I need to set the scene because if you don't believe what I'm going to say in the first five minutes then the whole of this message isn't going to work. Some of you will go away and think about the first five minutes, maybe for a year. Some may go away and think, no, I don't, I don't agree. That's, no, that's not right. I think you'll be wrong. But you have, of course, the freedom to do that. The first five minutes is very important today because we're going to talk today about the people who are Uh, as I've called in the title, Filthy Rich and Disadvantaged. Filthy Rich and Disadvantaged. With all due respect to everyone on the screen behind me uh, who I thoroughly enjoy watching. But I uh, I want to read how Jesus dealt with someone who was filthy rich and how he exposed him as being disadvantaged. Verse 16 of Matthew 19. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, which is God. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the man, the young man said. He was happy with that, wasn't he? He was like going into an exam where he knew the answers. Ah, thank you. I've done them. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Listen, look at me. How many believe when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, He's about to tell us the truth. I tell you the truth, 23. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. It's the truth. Verse 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, well, who then can be saved? Okay. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a fact. Jesus seems to 
imply that to be rich was a disadvantage in the kingdom of God. Not an advantage, a disadvantage. In fact, it was such a disadvantage. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone with a lot of money to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know, for years, I had written in the side of my Bible, you must have a Bible you can write in. And I'd written in the side of my Bible a little pearl of wisdom given me by a preacher that the eye of a, the eye of a needle was a special gate in Jerusalem. Anyone here heard that? That it was a special gate in Jerusalem? Yeah. And that what Jesus was saying is it was hard for the camel to go through. And what it is, is they shut the gate at night and the camel could get through but had to kind of shuffle its way kind of through the gate. The gate was sort of shut and it shuffled through and had to take off its load and all this. That's a fabulous preaching story. Can I just tell you, that's archaeological rubbish. There is no such gate in Jerusalem as the eye of a needle. If you don't believe me, fly out there, find it, bring it back, and tell me. But it's rubbish. Now, now if you have believed this for years, it's, in my, it's written in my Bible. Can't get rid of it. There's no such gate. What Jesus, and, and, and I'll tell you why I don't like this illustration in a minute. What Jesus was saying is, what's the smallest hole I can think of? Okay, the eye of a needle. That's pretty small. What's the largest animal I can think of? A camel. He'd not been to Woburn Zoo and seen the giraffe yet. All right, but what's the largest animal I can think of? A camel. How does a camel get through the eye? I can't even get a bit of thread through the eye of a needle. How do I get a camel through it? That's the point he's trying to make. Because to get a camel through a gate is difficult, but not impossible. But to get a camel through the eye of a needle is impossible. That's the point of the story. By the way, if you've heard this gate story, it's been around since the 9th century AD. So that's a thousand years and more that people have taught this. There's no such gate. There is no such gate. Jesus said it's hard if you've got money to enter the kingdom of God. That ought to frighten all of us in here. If it doesn't frighten you, there's a reason for it. And I tell you what the reason is. You don't think you're the rich man in the story. You think you're the poor trying to get into the kingdom of God. And the rich people are 
MPs, the royal family, Sir Alan Sugar, and Duncan or Dukan Bannatyne. Who are the rich people? Well, Peter Jones and Deborah Meaden. They're the rich people. And we are not the rich people. Do you know why? Because when we think about rich and poor, we're always looking upward. He's got more than me. But we never, never, unless we're smart, turn and look this way and see, my goodness, half the world wishes that they were me. Half the world. For half of the world, the daily uh, wage, for half of the world, the daily wage is one pound thirty-one pence. One pound thirty-one, about two dollars. One pound thirty-one. Which means if they work seven uh, days... That's not even 10 pounds. So that's not even 520 pounds a year. Half the world. So when we open the Bible and we look at uh, passages about the rich, you see, we're so blinkered in our head. We think it means those people who live in a certain part of Cambridge. Not us struggling with our council tax in our small house, in or out of Cambridge. When we think about the rich, we think about people with uh, the, uh, a fleet of helicopters or, uh, uh, you know, m- multiple cars and homes and uh, going on holiday and business class. First-class people on the, uh, on the train. We think, they're the rich, we're the poor. But I'm not sure that's how God thinks at all. And I guess what I'm trying to say is when we, when we, approach, when we approach the Scriptures and it talks about the rich, we have absolutely gazumped our brain if we think that's not me. Because everyone listening to me today, everyone listening to me today, with very few exceptions, is somewhere among the highest earners in the world. Maybe not in your family, maybe not even in your street, but stop looking that way, look that way, and you see a whole lot of people wishing they were you. There's a wonderful website and uh, I've put a link to it on our own website. You want to go home this afternoon. You want to go on kingschurchcambridge.org and there's a little pound on the website, a little picture of a pound. You want to click on it. It'll take you to a website called Global Rich List. What you do is you put your salary into the box. I want you to know that that information, it does not get sent to anyone, especially not to me. You put your salary in the box. Click. And it will tell you where you are 
in the world in terms of wealth and prosperity. It'll tell you. It'll tell you. I would dare to suggest every single person who does this will for sure, for sure, find themselves in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on the earth. Everyone. And some will even be in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. It's hard for people like you and me to enter the kingdom of God. So what I want to do today, just for a few minutes, is open up the Bible. We're going to look at the verses that speak about the rich and, and prosperity and money. And instead of thinking that this should be something that rich people should hear, we're going to hear it, okay? We're going to hear it. So what does the Bible say regarding the rich? Here goes. First of all, seek contentment, not wealth. Why don't we turn to 1 Timothy and chapter 6. First Timothy, chapter 6. Where we learn about the importance of contentment rather than the, the gaining of wealth. First Timothy 6. I'd love to begin in verse 5. He's talking about false teachers, people who've got the Bible all wrong. And he talks about them having, uh, in the, well, the early part, verse 4, he's talking about unhealthy controversies, quarrels about words that bring about envy, strife, malicious talk, uh, constant friction, verse 5, between men of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth. Listen, just listen to this. Just Listen to this. They've been robbed of the truth and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I could turn on many Christian channels today and hear preachers telling us that godliness will lead to financial gain. The Apostle Paul, maybe not Brother Dingling on one of the channels today, but the Apostle Paul says that people who think like that have been robbed of the truth. It's in your Bible. It's not in my Bible. It's in yours. And then he goes on to say, godliness with contentment is great gain. So in order to be godly, part of that is to have contentment. Not to think, I need more. I, I've got to have more. Paul says in another letter he'd learnt the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. And uh, we need to learn that. Anyway, he says, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. doesn't say they might do. It says they do. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires. It doesn't say they might fall into them. It says they do fall into them. They fall into harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's so funny, isn't it? Because the world tells us that if we have money, we're going to be all right. The Bible tells us that if we pursue money and wealth, in fact, we're going to fall into a trap that will lead us into ruin. Why? Verse 10 tells us, because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money, it's not money being the root of all evil. It is the love of money that's the root of evil. Every kind of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. We, we don't get this very, very clearly, you know. We think that some people eager for uh, uh, sex f- wander from the faith. Some people eager for a more, libert- you know, more libertarian lifestyle, let me do what I want, fall from the faith. And by the way, they do. But here comes another thing. People who are eager for money can fall from the faith. It's a bit scary, isn't it? Go over to the book of Proverbs. So you're going back in your Bible. Proverbs. And is it chapter 23? 23. Here's some distressing verses about money. From Solomon, Proverbs 23, verse 4. Here goes. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. How many people can fall into that trap? Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Once again, the world says, if you're wise you'll make money. The Bible says that in certain circumstances anyway, it's wise not to make money. It's wise to show restraint and say, rather than sacrificing my family, rather than sacrificing my time with my children, rather than sacrificing the call of God on my life, rather than sacrificing what should be a priority in my time, I'll go and try and make more money. And the Bible says you shouldn't do that. You're going to wear yourself out. And even worse is the next verse that says, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. Can you say amen? Probably not. You ever done that? Look, you go to the cash point, put your card in. Look at my balance. You go back tomorrow. Oh no, it's gone. Cast but a glance at it, he says. And it's gone. You don't keep it. You don't keep it. The riches, it says in verse 5 here, will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I don't know which bank you put that money in. But what's he saying? He's saying, money is gone. It's gone, mate. It's gone as soon as it comes. It's gone as soon as it comes. Do not wear yourself out, he says, trying to get more money. 
thinking that that's the smart thing to do. Now, of course, we need to find some balance here. You have to provide for your children. You have to provide for your wife and your family. You have to make sure that mortgage is being paid. Absolutely. The angels are not going to come with the money and pay the mortgage. You have to pay the mortgage. Can you say amen? You're not sure? <laughs> you, have to pay the mo- you have to pay the bills. You're going to have to pay the council tax. You have to go and get hold of that money and pay it. So, of course, we are responsible. I have to look after my wife. I have to look after our family. I have to look after our home. It's my responsibility to make sure those bills are paid. So we're not talking about becoming uh, uh, rogue and maverick about this and, you know, couldn't care less. No, not at all. But what the Bible's speaking about are people who are giving every waking hour to get more money. I tell you, you can gain the gold but lose your wife tomorrow. You can gain wealth but you've lost years with your kids, you see. I know we know this, but here's something from the Bible about it too. So the first thing the Bible says to us about riches and wealth is actually we should seek contentment. There's nothing more prosperous than to be happy with what you've got already. That's prosperity. That's prosperity to say, you know what? I'm not really worried about getting more things. I can only speak from a man's perspective on this right now, but the, the, the media and the marketing world, they are desperate for us to buy more things, aren't they? Buy, fellas, come on. We've got to buy the better car. Of course we've got to have that better phone. My laptop, look at that. Why haven't I got an iPad? Come on. Of co- come on. This Sky Sports, it's no, go- it's no good in standard definition. But the Bible says to us, watch it. Watch what you're doing. You'll fall into a trap. You may even wander away from the faith. Because loving money is the beginning of all kinds of evil. Mm. Let's go on to number two. First of all, its, it's instruction is we should be content. Be content. Number two, you make sure money isn't God. Jesus says it doesn't hear it's here in Matthew 6. He says, you can't serve both God and money. Mammon in the old version, right? You can't serve God and money. In one simple statement, Jesus elevated the power of money to the level of being a kind of a God. And sometimes we need to evaluate some of the decisions that we make, that I make, that you make. What is the God behind those decisions? Because sometimes those decisions are motivated not by God, but by money. 
by money. That's the motivating power, money. Should I do this or should I do that? Well, if I do that, I get more money. Yippee! The Lord has blessed us. Maybe he hasn't. Maybe that's not the will of God for you. To do this thing that is more money. We need to seek God. I, I'm so happy with the prospect that God could lead you and your family into, uh, into enjoying a better salary, a better home. I'm so, uh, I'm so persuaded that God could do that. But I'm equally persuaded that sometimes people operate without God, way outside of God's will, just going for the dollars, just going for the pound signs. Well, if I do this, I'll, it'll be better and we can get a better house and we can... And, and some of these motivations may be good, but we've just got to watch our hearts about this. Because you can't serve God and money. It means if you're serving money, you can't serve God. You can't do it. It's, there isn't a middle ground. You're either serving God or you're serving money. Deuteronomy 8 says this, Remember the Lord your God because it is He who's given you the ability to gain the wealth. God says to the, uh, the children of Israel, I'm going to give you the strength, the ability to go and get wealth. By the way, in the very old King James Version, it said he gives you the power to get wealth. And it's true we gain power, but power meaning physical strength rather than, you know, I've got the power to get wealth. Uh, the strength to get out of bed, to uh, hear the alarm clock, get out of the bed, get in the shower and go and earn some money. That's what he means by the Lord has given you the power, the strength to gain wealth. But what does the Lord say to them in Deuteronomy 8? He says, I want you, when you've gone and got that wealth, I want you to remember the Lord who gave you the strength to go and do that shift. I want you, he says, to remember the Lord who opened the door at that interview. Remember the Lord your God because it's He who's given you the ability to go and bring that money and put it on the kitchen table. But what happens? The story of the Old Testament again and again and again. When the people of Israel prospered, they forgot the Lord. Don't you know that it's hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God? Because they don't need God. Why should we pray we have everything we need? Why should we seek God? The fridge is full. Why should we go after God with all of our lives when our bank account shows us, hallelujah, in the black? Why bother? Why bother? God says to Israel time and time again, when you got all you wanted, you forgot me. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. And you can't get a wealthy man through the 
the gate of the kingdom of God. Because he forgets God. Doesn't need God. His God is his money. We have to be careful of these things. Let's go over to 1 Timothy 6. This is our last scripture for today. 1 Timothy chapter 6. where we started. 1 Timothy 6. The final thought here is we we must be generous. The Bible doesn't say it's not okay for you to have money. What the Bible says is this, that it's really important that you've got the money and not that the money has got you. I wonder if you've ever met anyone who thinks they've got money, but the money has absolutely got them. And by the way, before we look around and think, it could be true of us. I want to have a show of hands. How many of you believe that money changes people? Just put your hand up. Money changes people. You've seen these people win the lottery? Well, oh, it's been wonderful. We've been on the farm all these years and we just won the lottery. Wow, we just won eight, eight million pound. It's not going to change us. And then you watch them two years later on GMTV. Hello, yes. It doesn't change us at all, has it, Cedric? No. I used to be called, I used to be called Jason, but now I'm called Cedric. He's not changed us at all. No, how long is this interview going to be? We have important business at the cricket. You've seen the documentaries, haven't you, that many of the people who win the lottery, their lives are ruined actually by the money, aren't they? You see, we're really good at believing that money changes people. So why don't we dare to believe that money might change me? Why don't we believe money can change us? Why does it have to be someone else it changes? If it doesn't change us, it does change us. It does change us. Let's look at these final instructions to the rich. 1 Timothy 6, 18. Ah, yeah. Verse 17. Here's what the young pastor was supposed to preach to his church. Timothy's the pastor. Paul is the supervisory minister. This is the advice. He says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, uh, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. This is all part of, he's saying to them, don't you, don't put your hope in the money. It's going to fly away. In a few weeks' time, I'm going to look at the book of Haggai, where God says, the money you brought in, I blew it away. They spent all their time 
getting the wealth together. They brought it in and God went, and all the money was blown out the window. And they all commanded the devil to bring it back. The devil hadn't got it. God had come in and taken it. Anyway, we'll look at that in a few weeks' time. He says, I don't want you to put your hope in your money. Tell the rich people, he says, tell the rich people, the people who earn more than £10 a week, tell them this. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in your wealth. Don't think, well, I'm okay now. I've got this job or we've got this house. I mean, thank God you have. Thank God you've got that. But don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in it. People talk about, well, it's not my house, it's the Lord's house. It's not my car, it's the Lord's car. I want to say to people like that, can I have a lift home? Well, no. Well, maybe the Lord wants to use his car. You want to give someone a lift home from church? No, no, I thought it was the Lord's car. Well, it it was. He's lending it to me for now. He says, don't put your hope in the money because it could all be gone. We know that, don't we? Don't we know that? He says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, it's it's not that money is wrong. But we have to use it correctly. He says, verse 18, command them. That's the second time the word command has appeared in the passage. Sometimes I think Timothy could have got on the phone to Paul and said, why don't you come here and command them? He says to him, command them. Command them. So today, I'm commanding you and commanding me too. Because I'm wealthy too. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we've got to share it. We've got to be generous with it. I would say, you know, in regard to people wanting money, I want to know why. Why do people want money? Every now and then I meet someone who wants money so they can share it. They, they genuinely do. And for those people, I know they're probably going to be very, very rich people. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. If you become a vessel of sharing, then God can bless you again and again. But God does not answer prayer that leads us into sin. God does not answer prayer that leads us To be corrupted. They had it in the early church, of course, that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that they sold their things and they shared their wealth. 
Now that doesn't necessarily mean that has to happen every week. And every week we come in here and I've got a table going this week. <laughs> got some lovely chairs. Now I'm not suggesting that should be a weekly pattern of the church. It's the principle that they had caught that what they had, they should share. And that wonderful story in, I think it's Luke 19, is it? Luke 19 and verse 8, where Zacchaeus, the tax collector, wealthiest man in the town, was converted. And it says in Luke 19, verse 8, he says, whatever I've got, I'm going to give half of it away. Isn't that funny? Half of it. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus didn't seem to mind. Okay, half of it's good. To the other guy, he said, all of it. Half of it. He gave away half of it. And anyone he'd robbed, financially robbed, he was going to put it back. That man was a criminal, by the way. He was a, a crook, wasn't he? A tax collector, taking more money than he should. So he wanted to put right those financial crimes that he'd been part of. Let's look at this final scripture. It's going to come on the screen. Oh, here's a good quote. For many believers today, the primary Goliath is comfort. What an amazing thought. For you to for you to fulfill the plan of God. One of the big Goliaths in your way. And for me, as people who live comfortably, is the sacrifice of the comfort for the call of God. A big, big mountain in our way. I'd love to do this, but that doesn't sound comfortable. I'd love to do this, but that won't work with my life. It's so hard for us to enter the kingdom of God fully because we're surrounded by these other things. I tell you, friends, when, when I walk into one of our church prayer meetings and I see a handful of people, I know that there are TVs at home. When I come into a midweek Bible study, see a few wonderful group of students, but seeing how much more full it really could be, I know there's the internet at home. Or I know there's a movie at home. We are so comfortable. We're like a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. The answer may not be to sell all we have and give to the poor. The Bible doesn't tell the people of God to sell everything and give to the poor. It doesn't tell them that. But it tells them this, you must remember the Lord. And in remembering the Lord, that means we have to take action and do something different to what we've done before. This is what Jesus said to the church in Revelation. It's the Laodicean church. He says, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. 
But he says, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What a prophetic word. How many of you like to say that prophetic word home on a CD? That's what he said to them. He said, you think that they the Laodicean church were the wealthy church because they lived in an area where there was a lot of banking. They were the middle class church of the region. And Jesus has to say to them, don't you know, actually, you're pretty poor. You think you're wealthy because you've got these th- this stuff. But he said, I want you to buy from me things that won't wear out. When you go home today, go to the website. Go and look on that link. Put your salary in. And then see what the maths tells you. In your heart today, you might say, well, you know, it's all very well, but actually I'm in a lot of debt and I'm trying to pay this bill and I haven't, you know, I don't feel rich at all. I don't feel rich at all. Or you might say, well, I don't have uh, big debts or stuff, but you know, I, I just make ends meet. That's all I do. And I understand that. And I understand there is a comparative element to this. But I encourage you, go and put your salary in that box. And I dare you to click send. And see what happens. See where you fit on the scale of the human race in terms of wealth. And maybe God will speak to you. Not about giving all your money away. But maybe God will say to you what I believe he would say to millions and millions of Western Christians. Three words. What about me? What about? You ever been a parent and given your kids something? They loved it so much, you didn't see them again. You bought them a car and they drove off in it. You gave them gifts and they disappeared with them. Never remembered where they'd come from. Remember the Lord your God today. Because it's he who's given you all things richly to enjoy.